forever is a really long time. And there are people in our community that do not know the Lord. They, haven't, they don't understand the Lord. They don't understand what's been provided for them at the cross. And they need an opportunity to at least hear the message and be provided a chance to respond to the message of the gospel. And God desperately loves these people. And he wants to use you and I to begin to build bridges for the sake of the gospel to see people eventually come into the kingdom of God. So as an act of faith and just the engagement of your will, would you guys stand to your feet right now? We'll do a little Christian calisthenics and get you out of your seat for a minute. But let's believe the Lord that God's going to go above and beyond and do something really special this Easter season. Even if up until this point you haven't been really open to this, let's surrender this to the Lord. Let's, let's open our hearts and let's believe that God's going to do something special this Resurrection Sunday and that people are going to come to faith in the Lord. This is important. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We stand before you as a redeemed, blood-bought people. Lord, we have been forgiven. Our sins have been atoned for through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And for those that are in this room that we are born again, Lord, we will be eternally grateful for what you have provided for us. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, in this week, that, Lord, we would engage and be open into your heart, and Lord, what you want to do in and through our lives. And Lord, if we haven't been serious about this, that Lord, we would begin to really just consider, Lord, who is it that you have placed in our lives that maybe doesn't know you or is away from you that you are reaching out to? Lord, I pray that we would be a vessel that would be willing and available and yielded to you Lord, and Lord, give us grace to, Lord, begin to reach out to them, to just invite them to an Easter service, and that, Lord, when they come, Lord, that we would be a friend to them, and that you would prepare their hearts, Lord, to hear and to receive the life-changing message of the gospel. Lord, if you'll speak to us, Lord, we commit, we'll do our part. Lord, we'll just invite. And so, Lord, I pray for grace to do that. And uh, Lord, that you would work and move powerfully in and through our lives this week and in the days to come, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. So uh, a couple of months ago, I was approached about helping to maybe do a little bit of Bible study with the Kenai Brown Bears hockey team. Any of you guys hockey fans in the house? Woohoo! Go. Hockey is such, I'm from New Orleans. And we didn't do hockey. We didn't do ice. You know what I mean? It was a warm place. We didn't do it. But hockey is one of the most engaging fan sports I've been to. Yes, it's not for the faint of heart. Yes, sometimes they get out there and they scrap around a little bit. But it is so incredibly competitive. So I was approached a couple of months ago uh, in a roundabout way about maybe doing a Bible study. And there's a player on the Kenai Brown Bears hockey team who has a family that has a ministry background. If you don't know the Kenai Brown Bears, the hockey team, they're part of a bigger national league of how many teams are in the league, Luke? 30, about 30 hockey teams that are spread out across the country, and these are guys that have played high school hockey, some league hockey, and now they're in this bigger league, and the goal of this league is, number one, obviously, how many play, you know, you play to win, right? No one plays to lose. We play to win, and the hockey team, their, their goal is obviously to play to win, but 
a lot of these guys, are, their, their dream is to make it to a Division I college and then play college hockey and then just see what the Lord does from there in their future. And so, so a lot of these guys are kind of in a critical stage of their pursuit of their dream to play hockey and to see what doors are going to open up for them. And so this guy, would, Luke, would you stand up? This is Luke Anderson. He's from Minnesota. And, uh, and Luke reached out and was wanting somebody to help do a Bible study. And so for the last couple of months when they're in town, we've been able to do some Bible studies with these guys. Jimmy Jack, has he's not here today, he's actually doing hockey in town, but he's gone with me the last couple of weeks, and we've just had an incredible time. Luke, I am so proud of you as a young man that's on the road, away from his family, that is still interested in putting God first in his life. I honor that, and, uh, and so we honor that in you. And and it's so cool because some of these guys are really salty hockey players. Like, I don't know how you get some of these guys to go to the Bible study, but I love it. It has this raw feel to it, which is super exciting. And so, and you guys won last night. Is that right? Yeah. Overtime win. Go Bears. Woohoo! That's awesome. And so these guys are contending for a playoff spot. And, uh, and so as you think about them, you know, I don't know what you think about playing for sports praying for sports teams and stuff like that. But if I'm on the team and I want to win, I'm going to ask for people to pray for me. So you guys pl- pray for the Kenai Brown Bears that they're able to cinch up a playoff spot and that will create more opportunity for their players to be observed by Division I colleges and hopefully maybe be recruited here in the next couple of weeks or a couple of months and get to continue on pursuing their dreams. Okay, is that awesome? That's super cool. I'm excited for these guys. So if you have your Bible, would you open up to the gospel, or not the gospel, the prophet Isaiah. As we take the, these next two weeks and we prepare for Resurrection Sunday, I want to talk about the life and ministry of Jesus specifically related to his determination to go to the cross. And the cross isn't something that happened to the Lord. This is something that was God's will for his life that he was needing to follow through with to be able to pro- provide the opportunity for you and I, for mankind to be redeemed and to be restored. And, uh, and so this is, this is a, such an important message. You know, Jesus was not a victim. If you've ever had something bad happen to you in your life, that wasn't your fault, that you were innocent of, there is a place where, yes, something bad happened to you, and in a sense, yes, you're a victim. Maybe something bad happened to you. You know, bad things happened to Jesus. He was wrongfully accused. He paid a price that wasn't his own price to pay. He paid on our behalf. He went to the cross for us. He suffered on our behalf, but Jesus was never a victim. And He was an overcomer. Scripture teaches that we are more than conquerors. And as you and I, we grow in our walk with the Lord, we can understand that there's things that happen in life that even though they're difficult, that they have first been sifted through the Lord's hands first, and he wants to use the challenges and the disappointments and the extreme difficulties of our lives to work something beautiful in the way of redemption. I read somewhere in my Bible that it says that God causes all things to work together for the good of him who loves him and is called according to his purposes. So is there anybody here that loves God? Okay, so God's promise to you and me is that he will cause all things 
the dark, hard areas of our life that are offensive, that we don't understand, he will cause those things to work together for good. Only God can redeem the really ugly, dark spots of our life and make something beautiful out of it. The Bible teaches that for the joy set before him, it says this in Hebrews, that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus had hope when he went to the cross, and the hope was for you and I to be restored in our relationship with God, to be able to have fellowship with the Lord. We were created for relationship with God. Turn to your neighbor and say, we were created for relationship. And this is really important for us to understand. But in order for that relationship to take place, there was a death that needed to happen. And that death was the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins. In Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7, it says this. This is the prophet Isaiah, and he's prophesying about the nature of the coming Messiah. Isaiah did not know Jesus. He was prophesying. Jesus had not yet come, but Isaiah had a word from the Lord, and he proclaimed it out. And he said this, speaking of the nature of the ministry and the suffering that was to come. It says in Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. And I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. These are the things that Jesus went through, right? For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. Pay attention to that. And I know that I will not be ashamed. Jesus knew going into the cross that even though he was going to suffer greatly and it was, it was a, a difficult burden that we cannot imagine the burden that the Lord carried on our behalf, but he had the hope of knowing that his father was going to raise him again on the third day. And we're going to read about that in a little bit, but he had a hope that God was going to do something through his sacrifice that was, that was going to bring great joy to his own heart. And I, I want you to know that when you and I learn in life to make the right type of sacrifices, when we learn to deny ourselves in the right way for the purposes of God in our life, that there's always a blessing on the other side of that. It may not be the way you want it to be or, or the way you would script it necessarily, but God does work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In Mark chapter 8, it says in verses 31 through 33, and I want to connect with this as I, as I read this passage to you right now. In Isaiah 50, I just read about that the nature of the Messiah, one of the things was going to be that he was going to set his face like flint. Flint is a really hard stone. Have you ever been around somebody that was really focused and really determined and not easily distracted? Have you ever been around people like that? And it's kind of they're scary people sometimes, and they're really intense. And I think at this point, there was a switch that was hit in Jesus' public ministry, and he was going around doing good, healing people, and casting out demons, and preaching the good news. But there was something that happened in his heart when he realized it's time. It's time. I've got to start preparing my heart because I'm going to the cross. And this this passage I'm going to read to you in Mark chapter 8 really marks the point in Jesus' public ministry where he made the shift. This is going to happen, and I'm committing to it. 
I know what the will of the Father is for my life. It says this in Mark 8, verse 31. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. Another way of saying stating the matter plainly, this was a matter of fact for Jesus. There was no duplicity. There was no double-mindedness in our Lord. He was set on his mission. He's, guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be crucified, and I'll be dead and buried, but the Father is going to raise me up in three days. This was a fact for him. He knew it. He had, he, the issue was settled in his heart. And we know that there was tension in this story. We can see as we, read, as we read the Bible, allow yourself to feel the tension of these moments that lead up and the days and weeks leading up to the crucifixion. This was not a light time. This was something, my wife, she was in the 9 a.m. service. I got done preaching the 9 a.m. She's like, Scott, you weren't your normal self today. You know, you just seem so somber. I'm like, hun, this is a somber message. When we think about what Jesus did for us, we need to like, we need to appreciate this. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table at the end of the service, but part of the thing that we need to do as believers is we want to connect with the Spirit of the Lord and the way that things played out so that we can appreciate fully what God has done for us. I don't want to take anything that the Lord's done for me for granted. I don't want to take his mercy. I don't want to take his forgiveness. I don't want to take the fact that he died on the cross for me for granted. This is extremely important. I remember years ago, I was involved in a discipleship school in Wasilla, and we had a, a girl that had come from inner city Chicago, or from Chicago, not inner city, but she was from Chicago, and she grew up broken family. Her life was, you know, she had had a lot of people disappoint her in her life, and and uh, it was not the most ideal, healthy home life growing up. And so she had some issues. How many of you know, you grow up in a broken home, which many of us did, there's some baggage that follows us along the way. How many of you guys, when you came to Jesus, you were carrying a couple bags of trash with you? Okay, I was. And she had some real brokenness in her life. And because of the pain that she'd experienced in her life, and she wondered, did God really love her because of the suffering? And I, I was trying everything in my, as, a, as, a, as somebody was trying to be a positive voice for the Lord in her life, trying to encourage her and say, no, 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 God loves you. He really loves you. He said, but why did I go through this pain? And why did I go through this suffering? I'm like, because we, we live in a fallen world, but that doesn't mean because we go through bad things in our life and we go through difficulty does not mean that God doesn't love us. And I, was, and, I, and I eventually, in trying to convince this girl that God loves her, this, this had to be a work of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't even do it. But I said, you know what? If you just would look at the cross, if you would just look at what Jesus did for us, we would never question whether or not God loves us. Scripture teaches, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loves you and I. And that I know we've been through stuff in our lives. I know we're going through things right now. I know there's pain and there's difficulty that we carry in our heart, but it is not absence. You're not absent from the love of God. Yeah, you might be going through. Maybe, maybe some of what you're going through is, is there's some consequences for decisions that you've made in your life and those types of things. Yes, 
Maybe that's part of the deal, but God still loves you, and don't let go of that. Hold on to that. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who, if you read and you want to do a good Bible study, study the prayers of the Apostle Paul, and as you read Paul's prayers for the church, because Paul's praying for the church, because he helped plant the church, and all these different parts of of the known world at that time, and his prayer for the church was that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. You and I, if we're going to go anywhere in our faith walk and our journey with the Lord, is we need to understand that God's not fickle, he's not finicky, he doesn't love us one day and hate us the next day. He absolutely loves us, he's committed to our character development, and we might go through difficulty, but it doesn't mean that in our failings, in our struggles, that God stops loving us. He's just shaping us, and we don't like the uncomfort of it. This is important that we understand this. And the, the apostle or the disciple Peter had a very rude awakening in this passage. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't think it's ever a good idea to rebuke Jesus. The other day, I was struggling, you know, and I was dealing with just some, some personal conflict in my life, and I was mad, and I was done being mad at everybody else, and now I'm going to turn my anger to the Lord. And I was like, God, you could help me with this situation, and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm raising my fist to God. I better, I better get it together. What am I doing? And, and I, was, I was rebuking the Lord for not working in my situation the way that I wanted him to work. The way I felt like he should be working in what was going on in my life at that moment. And so like Peter, I think I can empathize. This is not the way I imagine things playing out. Peter was a very close disciple. He was one of the three closest disciples to the Lord. He had undoubtedly, he had so much esteem for Jesus. He cared so much about his Messiah, his rabbi, his teacher. He, he didn't want to see him suffer. He didn't like the idea that he would one day be taken out of the picture through the cross. And, and Peter was just struggling with this. And he began to re- rebuke Jesus and say, you can't do this. He says, but turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Jesus turns. And so then the rebuke comes from God next. And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You know, It's not the people, I don't lose any sleep over the people that get mad at me in traffic and wave their middle finger at me. That doesn't bother me. I don't know them. I'm not in a relationship. I just honk my horn and tell them to keep on going down the road. Is there anybody else like that? Okay. As you get closer and closer to people and those relationships are more valuable and more important and when there's conflict in those relationships, those are the relationships we tend to lose sleep over. The people that are closest to us, our children, our family, those types of things, friends. And Peter was very close with the Lord and Jesus undoubtedly loved Peter. And I, but, for, but for Jesus in this moment, Jesus was like, no, 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 Peter, you're missing the point. I, I've got to go to the cross. There's something I've been sent to do. My whole purpose for why I'm here is to go to the cross, and you're trying to pull me away from that. I love you. I know we're tight. I know we have a good relationship, but get behind me, Satan. 
I don't want your influence to divert me away from the plan and purpose of God. My face is set like flint. I am going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to fulfill the mandate of the Father. I am going to die on the cross for your sins and the sins of the world. Aren't you thankful? Don't we have a wonderful Savior? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. It says this, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So you guys know in Ephesians chapter 6, the great passage on spiritual warfare, the Apostle Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You guys know this passage, but we war or we wrestle against principalities and powers and hosts of wickedness in the spiritual places, depending on what your translation says. Are you guys familiar with this? There is a spiritual realm. We don't see it with our natural eye, but it is influencing everything we see in the natural realm. And when Jesus went to the cross, he disarmed. He took back the kingdom authority that man had yielded in the garden, and he was beginning the process of redemption, and he triumphed over all the works of darkness when he went to the cross. That's what Scripture says. Pastor Jack Hayford, who just is a great church leader, he just passed away. He just went to be with the Lord. He's a guy that was respected cross-denominationally for his integrity, his soundness of his biblical teaching, he said this about the following, the passage I just read. He said, it, the it in Colossians 2.15, having triumphing over them in it, the it in Paul's words in our text refers to the cross. The cross of Christ is the sole instrument for humanity's salvation and deliverance. It's the sole power for breaking hell's works and operations. When I was at the, the Freedom House fundraiser last night and hearing those, testimony, I, those testimonies that were shared, I, I heard stories of the power of the cross breaking the stronghold of Satan in people's lives. It was good, wasn't it, Connie? Powerful testimonies about what the Lord was doing in people's lives. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, it confirms this truth. It shows us that God's wisdom through the blood and death of his son completely confounded the strategies of hell. Only God's really the one who's able to outsmart Satan. You know, God and Satan are not equal. God is almighty. Satan is a created being. So let's not give Satan too much props here. God is, there's only one God and he is the Lord almighty. Amen. But it says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. It says, but we speak, Paul talking about his message and his ministry. He says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When Satan manipulated and worked through the situation and he thought he won when Jesus was nailed to the cross he was sorrowfully defeated on the third day when Jesus was raised back to life we serve a risen savior amen we can give the Lord praise for that we serve a risen savior who holds the the keys to death hell and the grave amen amen this is important 
In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, it says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Amen. This is, this is uh, important for us. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. I'm just gonna share some, some aspects of, and, and some scriptures related to the cross. Jesus said this, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again, or I may take it again. No one has taken it from me. Jesus is not a victim. He's not a weak person who was taken advantage of. He willingly laid down his life. He wasn't powerless, but he was the all-powerful God who at the right moment, at the right time, was willing to humble himself. There is no meeker person that you and I will ever meet than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what meekness is? Meekness is power under control. Meekness is having the power to do anything you want and yielding yourself and using that power for the right purpose. Jesus had the power, he says, to lay down his life and to take it up again. He says, I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And so Jesus was not a victim. Jesus wasn't a victim. And if we're going to be his followers and as we grow and we mature, we're going to have to learn to overcome victimhood and embrace the cross in our own lives. We're going to have to learn, like our Savior, to what does it mean for you and I to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow our Savior. Now, we can't do what Jesus did for us. There was only one who could die for the sins of the world, but we are called to live like him. As a matter of fact, to be termed or named a Christian means to mean that we are Christ-like, that the pattern of our life within the framework of our unique personalities is still intended by God to mirror the character and nature of God. So people, when they look at our lives, they see, man, there's something about that person that's different. And you know, it's like when I met my wife, one of the things that attracted me to Rachel was I knew she wasn't like other girls. There was something different about my wife. And you know what it was? She had had an experience with the Lord. God was, she was in the process of being changed. Her life was being changed. And to be a Christian means to be in Christ and that we don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for the purpose and for the glory of God wherever we are and whatever we do, whether we're playing hockey, but whatever we're doing, we're doing it for the glory of God. We do ice hockey, we build houses, we do whatever it is. We fish, whatever it is. We, we father, we, 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 we raise our kids, we do it all for the intent of the glory of God so that God would be known through our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, it says this, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who left us the example? Jesus, who committed no sin. We're called to live sin-free as his followers. Do we sin? Yes, we sin. What do we do when you and I sin? I sin. You want to be a good Christian? Learn to repent. We all blow it. Be a good repenter. Father, forgive me. I've sinned. I told a half-truth. I lied. I treated someone in a less-than-loving way. Whatever it is, be a good repenter. And when you repent, press delete. Don't live in the past. The past is dealt with and move forward. This is important. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, 
They said all kinds of bad things about our Savior. They mistreated him. They lied about him. Isn't it terrible to have someone tell a lie about you? That's, that's hard. When someone's repeating something about you that, or saying something about you that's not true, that's hard. What is our human nature in those situations? It's like we want to fight back. We want to make that right. It says that he was being reviled. He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The way of the cross is not convenient, but it is an ordained path. It was an ordained path for the Lord Jesus, and the way of the cross is an ordained path for you and I. I'm not saying that you're going to go die a physical death, but there are a thousand deaths that you and I need to die as we follow the Lord. The, de- the death of having to be right all the time. But, you know, the need to always have the last word. The need to be understood. I hate being misunderstood. It's painful to be misunderstood. But you know what? You're going to be misunderstood. I've been married 30 years. There's been many times I've misunderstood my wife and my wife's misunderstood me. My kids misunderstand me. I misunderstand my kids. It's like, God, how are we ever going to get along until we start learning how to understand each other? These things are important. You know, when we were in, uh, my wife and I just went on a trip and we were down in Southern California for a, a couple of days. And in Southern California, I wanted to take Rachel to go to the Santa Monica Pier. And I had been years earlier, but she had never been. I was going to take her to the Santa Monica Pier, and I wanted to go show her the Hollywood sign. And I'm just like, I was playing tour guide. And so we go to the Santa Monica Pier. It's a famous pier that goes out into the Pacific Ocean. It's, it's kind of a well-known you know, spot. It's been featured in some movies and things like that. And I'm proud. I'm excited to go show Rachel this site. And we're walking. We parked the car, and we're walking out on the pier, and I saw a homeless guy. And uh, he was walking on the pier, and he was kind of on the pathway of where we wanted to go. And I thought, I'd, my thought was, honestly, if I could just confess, I don't want to be inconvenienced right now. Have you ever been in those spots you just don't want to be inconvenienced? Okay, this is how spiritual I was, okay? I didn't want to be inconvenienced. And, you know, at one point in time, I don't know if this is still true or not, but Santa Monica is kind of like part of the greater Los Angeles area. There's a time maybe 10 years ago, and the number's probably bigger now, that the city of Los Angeles had about 100,000 homeless people in it. Gigantic homeless population. Part of the reason the homeless population is so big in California, apart from failed public policy and all those types of things, is the weather's good. It's easier to be homeless when it's 72 degrees outside, right? And so this is just kind of the thing. But there, this, this guy that was walking out to the pier uh, he was moving very slowly, and you just looking at the guy, it was obvious to me that he was homeless, and he was off in a very, very bad way. And I didn't, wanted, I didn't want to engage with the guy. I didn't engage with the guy. I just thought, I'm, I'm going to just try to walk around him, and I'm going to go do the sights, see the sights, and I'm going to go back to doing you know, the rest of my planned day with my wife. And when I got back from the trip and I was planning this message, I thought about that guy I walked by. No one else may know his name, but God knows that guy's name. The Lord cares for that guy. And in my life, 
I kind of put up a wall. I decided, okay, I'm going to like, you know, I'll take up my cross and I'll follow you, Jesus, to a certain point. But, but there's times in my life where I put up a wall and I'm like, Lord, I really don't want to be inconvenienced right now. So I'm not even going to be open to the thought or the idea that you may want me to do something in this situation. Have you ever found yourself in those situations? But as a follower of the Lord, we just want to be open. We want to live our lives open. I wanted like, we, we need to endeavor to live yielded in our spirit to the Lord so that we're vessels that God would be able to work through. And I, I have found my experience in, in most little relational ministry exchanges that take place, they're usually very brief. So a lot of times, like when the Lord leads us or asks us to do something, it's a very, honestly, if we're just honest with ourselves about it, it's a pretty minimal commitment. He might ask you to pray for somebody or go buy somebody a sandwich or just to try to be sensitive to the Lord in these different situations. But I wasn't even open to the Lord. And I was thinking about, as I was preparing this message, I'm like, Lord, I, make, I, I talk about this stuff, but I'm not really living it where it matters most. You know, it's easier to be church inside the building, but there's a whole world of people out there that need to see and know the love of God. This is important, and I'm not trying to condemn us. That's not, I don't want you, I'm not trying to beat you up. But my goal today is for you and I, number one, to appreciate the value of what Jesus has done for us. He made the greatest sacrifice. He, he willingly embraced the, he recognized the necessity of the cross, and he went to it. And he's called us to follow him. He's called us to live yielded, open lives to him. God's heart for us today is to appreciate the determination, his dedication to you and I, um, and to hold it in high esteem and hold it in high honor. A disheartening thing happens when we don't appreciate sometimes what other people have done for us. You know, I'm a veteran. I served in the military, but I've never fought in combat. I never went to war. I was in the military during wartime, but I never went to war. I knew people that went to war. I knew people that faced the difficulties of combat and all that means and all the ugly that goes with that, the loss of life and bloodshed and sacrifice that's required in those situations. And I don't ever want to take that level of sacrifice for granted that someone did and and so we need to honor that. And so what do we do as a society, as a culture? We have Veterans Day and Memorial Day. And we honor people that are worthy of our honor. And the moment we stop honoring the things of value in our life, our society starts to go down the tube. And as Christians, when we don't take time to properly honor the Lord and the value of what he has done for you and I, we miss out on appreciating and experiencing the fuller value of what God has done for us in our lives. And with, with a fresh sense of just adding value, you know, to appreciate something means to add value to it. When a house is on the market and you see the price going up because of the market conditions, it's appreciated and valued. It's added, there's, there's more value to it. People that grow in their relationship with the Lord, have a growing appreciation for what he's done for them. And if you're in a spot where you feel like some of that appreciation has waned a little bit, maybe you've lost kind of touch with it, allow this message 
to just reset your heart on the exceeding great value of what God has done for us when Jesus went to the cross for us. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, beginning in verse 23, he says, For I received the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I don't imagine for the Lord Jesus that when he served the disciples the Last Supper, that when he said these words, it was a trite thing for him. In a moment, he knew he was going to the cross, and he broke the bread, and I can imagine the reality of what was about to happen in his life. Even the sound of the bread breaking apart was probably would send a chill down his spine, knowing it's coming. God, help me. I need your strength right now. But this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, and we need to do it often, we need to come to the Lord's table often. You know why? Because we forget. In a week, we may not remember this message, but we come back to church. You don't remember what you ate for dinner last Tuesday. You don't remember the message many times. I don't remember the message many times. But in that moment, we needed it. When I needed to eat dinner on Tuesday, I needed it. There's something, a sustenance that the Lord provides to us in our lives. And we want to value that in the moment. And we want to have a growing appreciation of it. So Lord, as we take the bread, we remember your broken body. Lord, help us to understand. Give us understanding Lord, of what you did for us. I imagine the moment you broke the bread, the weight of what you felt, knowing what was to come. Lord, we honor you by remembering you in this moment. In the same manner, he also took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes scripture teaches there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood Jesus was the spotless lamb of God he was sinless and perfect every way he was the perfect God man and he came and he lived a sinless life and he died a sinner's death so that you and I could be redeemed. The blood of Jesus, while being shed for our sins, makes atonement for us and restores us to right standing with God. Scripture teaches, for those that are in Christ, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our righteousness, it's not our own. It's the righteousness that Jesus lived out in his life that we get credit for because of his unusual kindness and his incredible sacrifice that he's made on our behalf. And so, Lord, we remember you. And Lord, I don't think there's anyone in this room, we've shed blood in that sense, Lord, for another person. Maybe there's a veteran. Maybe somebody has been wounded on the battlefield. I don't know. But Lord, you know, you made the great sacrifice for us. You made the greatest sacrifice. It says this, that there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you laid down your life 
and you allowed your blood to be shed so that we could have life. And so when we come to the cup, we remember this isn't just something we do. It's not a trite thing. Lord, we honor you. We thank you, God, for your incredible sacrifice. We thank you for your gracious love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you reached into our darkness, Lord, and you worked away for us to come into the kingdom of God. You worked away for us to be born again. You put people in our lives. You had messages preached to us. You got our attention. You opened the eyes of our heart. You gave us grace to believe. And Lord, we're thankful for that. We are eternally thankful for what you've done for us. And Lord, we pray that, God, we would live lives of deep appreciation for you in the way that we live our lives, in the way we treat other people, the way we honor you with our lives. Lord, you love us. And Scripture teaches that the curse of sin is broken, that anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and all things have become new. God is doing a new work in our hearts. I want to encourage you to embrace it, receive it, and live yielded. Lord, as we go from this place today, Lord, I ask you to help us. Help us to lean on you. Lord, to not lean on our understanding, but to acknowledge you in all of our ways, to live yielded, to learn to listen, to learn to hear. Give us ears to hear, Lord, what you're saying in the days to come. Lord, give us a sensitivity, a yieldedness, a willingness to look at the people in our lives and to be open. Lord, if there's something you want us to do, something you want us to say, an act of kindness, whatever it is, a word of encouragement, whatever it is, Lord, we want to be yielded to you. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And that, Lord, Jesus would be Lord of the Kenai Peninsula and that you would be glorified. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Have a great day. God bless you.